You're listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ, teaching and worshiping God in the beautiful New York State counties of Orange and Rockland. You know, when difficult things happen in our lives, it really forces us to reflect on what's important, um, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't know if you saw, you read in the news this week, but um, last Sunday, we could go today, a West Point cadet was killed in a car accident. Um, he was driving uh, early in the morning, and it was a one-car accident, and, uh, and he, he died. Uh, he was on the Army football team. In fact, last Saturday, me and a couple of the guys went to the Army football game. And I, I didn't know him or see him, but he had a great game. He played the game, had a great game, and, um, and, then, and then died. When I read that, I thought, wow, it just, it's amazing how, how quickly things can change sometimes. And you, you, it forces you to stop and think, well, what, what matters? What really matters? Uh, my friend Tyler, who is also a cadet at West Point, came with me. His first time at church today. And uh, we're glad to have you here. But he's also on the Army football team. And we were talking in the car as we were driving to church today about the, 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 the somberness that it brings to the whole academy. You know, to, to his, not just the academy, but, but especially his friends, people he's close to. People, people uh, that he knew, this cadet who passed away. Uh, it just, it, it makes you stop and think. You know, I don't know if you, when you heard the news about the explosion in, in Chelsea last night. I mean, that was, you know, anytime you hear something like that in New York City, we all stop for a minute and, and catch our breath. Uh, you know, I thought uh, about some of my friends who live right there in Chelsea. In fact, one of our evangelists in the New York City Church of Christ, who does what I do in the Manhattan region, John Markowski, lives right there. And I uh, immediately texted him and immediately texted another brother who live right there and saying, are you okay? Is everything all right? And it took John a few minutes to respond, and it scared me for a moment. But he eventually got back, and everything was okay. And as, as far as they know, nobody, no disciples were hurt at all. And uh, so we definitely need to be praying for them and praying for that situation. But things like that make you stop. Those difficult situations, and they make you think about what's important. It forces you to ask, who am I? What am I? What do I believe? You know, I believe we need that kind of clarity in our lives. We need clarity. You know why we need clarity? Because Satan loves confusion. He loves confusion. Revelation 12 verse 9 says Satan leads the whole world astray. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says Satan torments. It says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, Satan has schemes, it says. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, it even says Satan masquerades as an angel of light. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says Satan is looking to devour people. Not just play with people, not just tease you, devour you. Revelation 12 verse 12 says Satan is filled with fury. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Why do we need clarity? Because Satan is trying to bring confusion. He loves to deceive. He loves to confuse. He loves to destroy. He loves the fog and the haze and the ambiguity. He loves that. That's why we need clarity. And you know where we find clarity? We find it in the Bible. The Bible teaches us what is right and what is clear. Psalm 119, 105, the, the psalmist writes, Your word 
is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That's what the Word of God is. It's not just a book, a thing to sit on your shelf. It's a message from God that brings, it's a lamp to our feet and it brings light to our path. That's what the Word of God is for. That's why we have to embrace it and we have to take it seriously. We need clarity. And you know, studying and following Jesus' example in the Bible brings clarity. It brings clarity. I want to read you a passage, a short passage here about Jesus, and just present a couple thoughts to you about this. And let Jesus bring us some clarity as we stop and think about Who are we and what do we do and what do we represent? This is Matthew 26, verse 36. This is the night before Jesus knows that he is going to die. And this is what Jesus does. Beginning in verse 36, it says, "Jesus." Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is Jesus speaking. He says to his friends, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. His face is on the ground. He's not holy Jesus in the white robe. His face is on the ground, it says. And he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returns to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, today we're going to try to answer the question, Who are we? What are we building? What is this church all about? Why are we doing this? And we're going to look at this example of Jesus. I love this story about Jesus. Because Jesus is just like us. He's in an extreme situation. He's in a difficult situation. And this difficult situation brings out, brings to the surface what's really important to him. So let's take a look at it together as we strive to emulate this in the church here today. What are we going to be based on Jesus here? Number one, we are going to be people of faith. Thank you. I got one amen. All right. It's okay for you to say amen. Maybe you're not sure. That's fair. All right. But think about it. We're going to be people of faith. Jesus in this situation, again, he was God, but in this form, he's human. So he's just like me and you. And you see that Jesus was demonstrating his faith by turning to God, 
by believing in God, by trusting in God, by praying to God, even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, Jesus was a man of faith. That's who Jesus was. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is not an option if you're going to be a Christian. It needs to define you. If you and I are going to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to be people of faith. Like a fish that can't survive unless it's in water. We can't survive unless we are in faith. That's where we leave. live. The moment you try to leave faith is the moment you start to choke. The moment you try to make it all make sense to you or you try to do what you think is best versus what God thinks is best, that's when you leave the realm of faith and you slowly start to choke and die. Listen, Jesus was a man of faith. You know, sometimes we rely more on our senses than on our Savior. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it actually says what faith is. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. A good rule of thumb when it comes to faith, if you can see it, it's probably not by faith. If it makes sense to you, might not be by faith. Because that's the very fundamental factor of faith is that it's the opposite of what we think often now we grow and we change and sometimes then we start to align ourselves with god so it starts to make sense but sometimes we read god's word and we want to do something else that's when you've got to decide are you going to be a person of faith or are you going to do what what you and i think is right that's what jesus was jesus was a man of faith sometimes people have even given up on being faithful whatever the reasons may be And we have real reasons for giving up on faith. Maybe we're hurt. Maybe we've been burned. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we're just sick of it. We have reasons. And they're real reasons. But there's never an excuse to stop being faithful. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1 that some have abandoned their faith. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that some have denied their faith. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that some have wandered from the faith. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.9 that some have even shipwrecked their faith, destroyed their faith. If you lose your faith, you've lost it all. We are going to be people of faith. Sometimes we just don't even read the Bible. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 that faith comes from the Bible. You know, you can... You can You can build your faith by spending time in the Bible, reading the Bible, listening to the Bible. You know, someone told uh, told my wife and I once, this is a woman who was studying medicine, and she said, um, she said, you know, what happens is when a person is malnourished, the body starts turning to the strongest muscle in the body for nourishment, and that is your heart. The body starts to turn... And, and, and starts to consume the heart for nourishment when you're, when you're malnourished physically. And I think sometimes this, the same can be true spiritually. When we are malnourished spiritually, when we're not feeding ourselves regularly the holy word of God, what happens is our heart is the first casualty. 
our heart begins to erode. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a slow, long process. But we start to lose our faith and our heart starts to be uh, uh, eaten away by our doubts. So we've got to feed ourselves regularly. Not just now on Sunday for 30 minutes, but regularly. We've got to feed ourselves the Word of God. Faith. We're going to be people of faith. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. It is a battle to be faithful. It is not easy. It is not for the weak of heart. It is not for the faint of heart. It is for people who are ready to engage the spiritual battle. Not fighting each other, fighting Satan who's looking to destroy us. That's what he's trying to do. We've got to fight the good fight. And it is a good fight. It's a worth it fight. It's worth it to fight the fight for faith. Jesus was a man of faith. And we are going to be a church of faith. You know, faith is demonstrated here by Jesus, really specifically in his obedience to God. Isn't it? You know, obeying, I said this last week, it's not a bad word. It's not something just for kids. It's not a sign of weakness. Obeying God is actually a mark of maturity. And that's who we have to be as people who obey God. Hebrews 5.9 says Jesus is the source of eternal life for those who do what? Obey. Those who obey him. You know, obedience is hard. Jesus wrestled with obedience right here, right? Didn't he? Three times. Three times Jesus had to go and wrestle with wanting to die on the cross or not. Did you catch that? He didn't want to do it. Well, wait a minute. He's Jesus. He's supposed to die on the cross. He didn't want to. He did not want. He was looking for another way out. But his attitude was, God, I will obey you over what I want. And he wrestled with it. Sometimes obedience is hard. It is a hard thing to obey God. I know Kevin just made a very difficult announcement. And that was a decision that was made with a lot of prayer and a lot of time. And there was a lot of a lot of anguish put into that. It was not an easy decision. But but what prompted the elders the evangelists and our leaders here to make that decision was really obedience. So what the Bible says you have to do in that scenario. It was hard. But it was obedience to God. That's what it was. That's what it was. David was a man after God's own heart. Do you know why? Do you know why? It wasn't it wasn't because he wrote poems and sang songs and danced. That's not why. You know why he was called a man after God's own heart? It's because he obeyed. God gave him a job and he went and did it. David, I want you to go take care of this. He did it. In fact, it says in Acts 13:22, talking about David, it says after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. 
God defines a man or a woman after his heart, not as somebody who feels a, an emotional pull when, you know, the song is sung. and That's not a person. God defines a person after his own heart as someone who does everything God wants him to do. Compare that to King Saul. Remember King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15? God gave him a specific job. And Saul modified it. He did, he did some of it, but not all of it. He modified it. And then when approached, he, he denied it. And then eventually he came around, but by then it was too late. The difference between Saul and David wasn't poetry. It was obedience. That was it. That was it. Jesus was a man of faith. If you're not comfortable with that, you won't be comfortable in this church. We are going to be, and we are, a people of faith. Let me just point out two more quick things here about Jesus. Not only was he a man of faith, and we are going to be people of faith, but Jesus was, Jesus was, and we are going to be people of fellowship. People of fellowship. You know, Jesus needed people in this story. That's amazing to me. He needed people. It wasn't just God. He did need God, but he needed people. And the fellowship didn't take the place of his faith. It wasn't either or. He wanted both. He wanted God and he wanted the people. He wanted both. Faith and fellowship. Now granted, the people he chose failed him. Didn't they? But we're not here to study them out. We're here to study Jesus out. And I'm thankful that they're in there because I fail too. We all fail at times. I'm glad they're in there. They give us an illustration of what it's like in God's love even amongst our failures. But Jesus needed, it amazes me that he needed fellowship. And it was vulnerable fellowship. I mean, he opened his heart and he said, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, he was vulnerable. The Greek word ekklesia is what we translate in our English Bible as church. And the Greek word ekklesia and the word church does not mean this building. This building is not church. The word ecclesia is the collection of believers. That's what it is. It's not bound by geography. It's, a, it's not bound by a building. It's not a building. This is a building, and I'm glad we're inside on a day when it's raining. But this is not church. We are church. The collective group of us is what church is. And church was Jesus' idea in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The church should be strengthened and grow numerically, Acts chapter 16, verse 5. The church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head, Ephesians 1.23, Colossians 1.18. Elders are appointed to be the physical overseers of the church, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. The church is God's household, 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. The church is the family of of God, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. And there are rules of conduct in the church, according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. The point that I'm making to you is this, is fellowship is the holy, eternal plan of God, and it's not optional. You and I cannot say, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. No. No. You not only, if you're going to be a Christian, as the Bible defines, you've got to give yourself to the church. 
holy. In fact, it says in Acts 2.42 that they were devoted to the church. Does that describe you? Are you devoted or do you just dabble in the church? Ah, I'll come. I'll get there when I can. You know, uh, no, that's not right. That's not Jesus and that's not the church. We are devoted to the church. Listen, we are not going to have any suspicion in this church. We are done with grumbling. We are done with conspiracy theories about our leaders. There's going to be no more bitterness. Bitterness is not allowed. Biting is not allowed. No armchair quarterbacking. No, no more yelping the church service. Well, you know, that was good except for that one song. I don't know. But no. If you got a problem with it, then get involved. Volunteer. Come up and help. Don't just sit back and criticize it. Come on, man. This is the bride of Christ. First Timothy one, First Timothy six, four and five says, Hudson Valley region, we're not going to be a place of quote controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk, evil suspicion and constant friction. Not going to be here. Not who we're going to be. We are going to be a place of trust, a place of kindness place of love and a place of devotion. We're going to encourage one another, as the Bible says. We're going to make our leader's job a joy, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to build each other up. That's who we're going to be. That's what we're... It's going to take work. It does not come natural. But that's who we're going to be. Jesus was a man of fellowship. If you're not comfortable with that, then you're not going to be comfortable in here. Because we are a church of fellowship. Jesus was a man of faith. He was a man of fellowship. And also he was a man, finally, of focus. He was a man of focus. You know, it amazes me. And this, is, this whole passage I read you is amazing. Every time I read it. And I've read it thousands of times. But one of the big things that really amazes me about this passage is that after he's wrestled, after he's been vulnerable, after he's prayed and and poured out his heart, he then gets up and says, all right, let's go. And if you read the rest of the story, he is the one in the driver's seat as he goes to the cross. That's, That's powerful. I mean, can you imagine if someone said, You know, you're going to have to die for people. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to make sure it happens. Because there's going to be a lot of things along the way that can get it sidetracked. Peter's going to pull out a sword. You know, people are going to, you need to keep this this ship on track. Keep the train on the tracks, man. We're going to have to keep focused. That, to me, is the most amazing thing about Jesus here. Is he gets up and says, rise, let's go. Come on. It's time for me to go die. That amazes me. He had incredible focus. You know, his goal, according to Luke 19, verse 10, was the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's his goal. That was his goal. 
He did a lot of other good things along the way. He helped people. He fed people. He healed people. And he even trained people. But all of that led to one big goal, which was that he would die and create an opportunity for you and I, thousands of years later, on a whole other continent, to have the opportunity still to go to heaven. That was his goal. And he stayed focused on that. We have the same goal. We don't have to die on a cross. Thank you, God. We don't have to die. It's not my death that saves you. But now that he has created that message, we have been given the task to go and die. Metaphorically, go and die. For him to save the world. I don't have to, I don't have to tell you how much the world needs God. I don't think I have to tell you that. I think you can just turn on the news. Watch it for a half hour. And you'll see the only solution. It's not politics. It's not the next president. It's not this summit or that summit. The only solution for this planet is the love of Jesus. And God has chosen me and you to be the conveyors of that message. It's not my idea. I'd rather him do it. But he said, no, you're going to do it. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, we are his ambassadors. It also says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, that we are ministers of reconciliation. And it says we are to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That's 1 Peter 2, 9. And if all of that's not clear enough for you, Jesus just says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Matthew 16, verse 15. This is our focus. This is what we do. This is what the church is all about. Man, some of us, we need to learn the Bible. Some of us, you know, if you sat down on an airplane with somebody as it took off from New York, headed to L.A., you got a couple hours and they looked at you and said, hey, I'm sorry, I don't know you, but I need to become a Christian. Do you know how? Some of us, I'm afraid, wouldn't have any idea how to teach them. You and them in a Bible, what would you do? Some of us would thumb through the Bible and be like, well, you know, the Lord helps those who help themselves. So, uh... You know, that's not even in the Bible. That's Benjamin Franklin, guys. Don't quote Benjamin Franklin to try to save people's souls. It doesn't work. It's the Bible. And I'm not saying that to, to shame you or make you feel bad. I'm, I'm calling you to get focused. To get focused on what it is that we're supposed to be doing. This life is short. Bombs go off. Cadets die. It's short. How are you going to spend this time complaining, arguing, bickering, or getting focused on what it is that God wants for us to do? Who are you going to be? Man, Jesus was a man of of focus. It's inspiring. You know, I was super inspired. I got invited to go do a Bible study at St. Thomas Aquinas to lead a, a, a brother, Scott Muscat, who's a coach there, the baseball team. He, he, he's last year, he started organizing these group Bible studies with his baseball team. And now other people are coming. Uh, some people from the Nyack college baseball team came and, and they asked me to come and lead it. And I showed up and I don't know, 10, 15, 20 college students. there, just ready to study the Bible. I was like, wow. That, w- that just lifted my spirit. I mean, I hope, I hope I lifted their spirit with the word of God, but it lifted my heart. I was like, that's it. That's it. It's inspiring when you and I are about our focus. And it doesn't have to. You don't have to have groups of 20, 30 people. You know, it just has to be one. 
the person next to you on the train or the person that works next to you or the person you meet at the grocery store or the person that you see at the mall. I mean, it just one. We just do it one at a time. Jesus was a man of focus. And if you're not comfortable with that, you're not going to be comfortable in this church because we are a people of focus. People of faith, people of fellowship, people of focus. I hope that this study in God's word has given you some clarity today. I hope it has. That was my goal, is to remove some fog and to help us remember. If you're a guest today, I'm glad you're here. Uh, We have a lot of guests here. I see a lot of faces I don't recognize. That's great. I'm glad you're here. We have Bible studies to teach you. You know, uh, Tiffany was sharing earlier about Christina, how she wanted to go through all these Bible studies and multiple Bible studies. We actually have a series of Bible studies. We will sit with you and take you from zero to salvation. Now, you're not going to have an advanced degree in the Bible when you're done with us, but you're going to know what it takes to be saved, and you're going to be able to make an educated spiritual decision. And you may be sitting there going, I don't know where I'm at. Great. Let us sit down and teach you the Bible. Again, God doesn't want you to be in the fog spiritually. He wants you to have clarity. He doesn't want you to wonder if you're saved. He wants to know you're saved. No doubts. No doubts. And we've all been there before. We're not coming from a place of self-righteousness by any means. We're coming in to help you. So if you're a guest today and you want to do a Bible study, grab the person who brought you to church and say, hey, I want to do the Bible study that that dude was talking about. And that's okay. And hopefully if they grab you, brother or sister, you, you know what to do. All right? And if you don't, then you may need some more training. And that's okay. We all need some training. So if you're a guest today, I hope, I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll become a part of what we're doing here. If you're a member today, I hope you'll stay. I hope you'll stay. There's always reasons to leave. Always. Always. But I hope you'll choose to stay with us and to give yourself fully to Jesus. Church is not a social club. It's not what we are. We are a people united by a common bond. You know, we're not here just because we had nothing else going on Sunday morning. I'm sure all of us have plenty to do on a Sunday morning. But we're here because of our discipleship of Jesus. And like Jesus, let us be people of faith, fellowship, and focus. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast. For more information about our ministry or to attend a church service, please visit our website at hvregion.com. 